0: This is one of the more memorable events in the history of the life of Jesus, the triumphal entry. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. John chapter 12, we're going to start reading at verse 9, and we're going to make our way through verse 19. This is God's word. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. was that they had heard he had done this sign so the pharisees said to one another you see that you are gain- that you are gaining nothing look the whole world has gone after him this is god's word let's go to him now in prayer oh lord our god we are overwhelmed with gratitude when we think about what you've done for us in and through christ our savior We pray, Lord, that we would join our voices together this morning, singing and praying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the Holy One, the King of Israel. I pray, Lord Jesus, our King, that you would speak to us now by the power of your Spirit, for we, your servant, listen. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think that it's fair to say that most Americans have a complicated relationship with royalty. Certainly, we would be the first to say that we like Don King, the Sacramento Kings, the band Queen, and the artist formerly known as Prince. We love Disney princesses like Ariel, Belle, Tiana, Moana, and the Frozen Sisters. We miss the queen, Queen Elizabeth. Wasn't she great? We miss Lady Di and marvel at royal weddings. Who doesn't love a good royal wedding? But listen, this is still America. We're a country today because our founding fathers rejected the queen and the king. If it wasn't for our first founding fathers stepping away from that, we would still be servants of a monarch which we are not today. One of the great mottos of the American Revolution was, we serve no sovereign here. Because of our history, we're still a little bit uncomfortable with crowns and thorn- and thrones and royal proclamations. On the one hand, we reject kings, kings who are corrupt, tyrannical, wicked, evil, And yet, on the other hand, we long for kings. We long for kings who are noble and courageous and honorable and good. We reject people like King George and Emperor Nero and Genghis Khan. We long for Aslan and Arthur and, yes, even Prince Charming. We say with the Israelites, Give us a king like all the other nations. And God says, what you really need is a king like me. Why did the crowds gather together to shout Hosanna? Because we were made to know the king and love the king and worship the king. The excitement that we feel in the presence of royalty or celebrity in America it's basically the same thing is the echoes of the deepest longings of our hearts echoes of something that we lost when Adam and Eve our first parents rebelled against God in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rebelled against God what they were really doing is rejecting their king and since that day we the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve have lost the connection that we feel to our King. Since the fall, we've been longing to stand exactly where the disciples stood on Palm Sunday. Everything inside us longs to cry out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! This scene makes it abundantly clear that Jesus is our king he's the king that we've been looking for our whole lives in the books in the movies in the fairy tales in the action films in the romance novels in video games and even presidential elections it's not about them it's about him now you might already know that christ was not Jesus' last name. (laughs) The word Christ is actually a title, Christos. It means Lord, the Anointed One, the King. We see that clearly in this scene. The question is, what kind of king is he? What kind of king is Jesus? Is he a tyrannical king who wants us to fail? Or is he a merciful king? Who wants us to succeed? Is he a wicked king who says, You must die for me? Or is he a noble king who says, I must die for you? Is he the kind of king who takes and takes and takes? Or is he the kind of king who gives and gives and gives? These are some of the questions we'll be asking as we look at the events surrounding Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter Sunday. The Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem like a conquering hero. The Sunday before Jesus defeated death forever by rising again from the dead. What kind of king is this king, King Jesus? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We've got two main points from the story, and then a third point, a point of application. First, we'll see that Jesus is a mighty king. Second, we'll see that Jesus is a meek king. And finally, we'll try to apply this by asking what happens inside of us when Jesus becomes a king our king so jesus is a mighty king he's a meek king and he's also a king who makes the meek mighty and the mighty meek that's why we're drawn to him that's why we want to worship him that's why someday even the rocks will cry out in praise to the king are you ready all right, let's take a closer look. The first thing we see is that Jesus is a mighty king. I love this story because it's so clear in showing Jesus' power and authority. The Jesus that we see riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is sovereign. He has authority over people, over animals, and even death itself. As many of us learned in Sunday school He's got the whole world in his hands. And that's a good thing. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. John begins this story by reminding us of what happened back in John chapter 11, three sermons ago, the famous scene where Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. It was such an amazing miracle that not only were many people believing in Jesus, they wanted to see him and Lazarus in person. They wanted a close encounter with Jesus because they were drawn to him by his power and authority, which makes sense. If, some, if Pastor Dave or Pastor Sean came to me tomorrow morning and said, hey, listen, you're never going to believe this, but yesterday on Sunday morning there was a local church in town and the pastor raised someone from the dead, <laughs> I would be amazed. I might ask one of those guys to preach next week so I could go to that guy's church and check it out for myself. Maybe he'll do it again. We are drawn to power and authority, the miraculous power of Jesus. Why? Why? Well, because up until this point in history, death was undefeated. Until Jesus came along, death was final and inevitable. Nobody came back from the dead. As we read in Hebrews 9, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. That's true, but because of Jesus, there's more to the story. Because of Jesus, we have hope for what N.T. Wright called life after life after death. Because Jesus is sovereign over death, death is no longer our enemy. Because of Jesus, death has become for us, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the beginning of life. That's what drew the crowd to Jesus on the very first Palm Sunday, The resurrection of Lazarus, which demonstrated Jesus' sovereignty or authority over death. Now, what else in this scene points to Jesus' power and authority? The palm branches. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Now, when Kate and I were growing up, Palm Sunday was a big Sunday for Sunday school kids because during the opening song, we would parade around the sanctuary waving palm branches. I think that is the perfect job for elementary schoolers on Palm Sunday because only an elementary schooler can demonstrate the proper amount of enthusiasm Required for Palm Sunday branch waving. The crowds who gathered on Sunday, more, uh, Palm Sunday you weren't know, getting kind of slowly, gently swaying with the palm branches in the sky, kind of like a lighter at a rock concert. No, oh no, no, no. They were waving those things around like an eight year old on the loose. They were jumping and shouting and banging little old ladies who were sitting in the aisle. There was some enthusiasm there. Why? Because in the ancient world, this is what people would do to welcome a conquering hero. When a king rode into town, after conquering his enemies, after defeating the enemy, who would surely have destroyed the city, having defeated them and saved them, people would line the streets waving palm branches. It was almost like the ancient equivalent of a a championship parade. Back when I lived in New York City, whenever the Yankees would win the World Series, they would have a ticker tape parade where this paper would come down from the buildings on the people, even though they don't use ticker tape machines anymore. They would recreate it so that they would walk down what they called the Canyon of Heroes, celebrated and cheered by all who gathered there that's what this was confetti and streamers and flags and floats the whole thing that's what awaited jesus because after jesus raised lazarus from the dead the people wanted everyone especially and including the romans to know this is our conquering hero This man, Jesus of Nazareth, is our conquering mighty king. Now that's what it meant to the people. Jesus was going to defeat the Romans in battle. Jesus was going to make Israel great again. Jesus was going to build back Bethany better. Insert your campaign slogan here. A thousand points of light. Hope and change. It's morning in Samaria. I like trike. You get the idea. It was a political thing for them. For Jesus, it meant so much more than politics. For Jesus, it meant so much more than than a this-worldly triumph over the political forces of Rome. For Jesus... This was a spiritual thing and, dare I say, an eschatological thing. This was a preview of the end of the world. This is a preview of the second coming of Jesus. What What was Jesus thinking when he rode into Jerusalem? Well, it's impossible to know exactly what he was thinking. But my guess is that he was thinking about the Old Testament. I think he was thinking about Psalm 96, verse 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness And the people in faithfulness. I think he was thinking about Isaiah chapter 55 verse 12. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Though the crowds didn't understand exactly what they were seeing on the very first Palm Sunday, in reality, they were seeing a dress rehearsal for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That great and glorious day when Jesus, our Messiah, the Anointed One, our King, will be greeted not by hundreds of people, but by millions and millions of people. The first time around, the people shouted and waved branches. The second time, the branches themselves will shout for joy. In Luke, we read this. Luke 19, verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the might of our Lord Jesus Christ, our sovereign king. There's one more thing. Not only does the resurrection of Lazarus point to his greatness, not only do the palm branches signal his might and his majesty, so also does the donkey. Even the donkey points to Jesus' might. Verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, in keeping with the theme of references from the Old Testament, this one is a direct reference to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. It's such an amazing passage, it's worth quoting in full because it's about the Messiah. It's about the King who had come to make things right in the world by removing sin while forgiving sinners. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. In other words, there's a king coming. And he's not going to be an ordinary king. He is going to be the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, there's no more war, no more violence, no more oppression. As the hymn says, sickness, sorrow, pain and death shall be felt and feared no more. And John is telling us The prophecies are all about him. They're all about Jesus. That's why he rode on a donkey. The messianic king, this is the one the prophet Zechariah was talking about. He's the king who the prophet Isaiah was talking about. He is the king that the psalmists were talking about. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, that's probably enough (laughs) to convey the grandeur and the might and the majesty of Jesus, but I also want to highlight one quirky little detail, a detail that I never saw before until I read about it in Don Carson's commentary. Here, we're told this, that Jesus rode a young donkey, but Luke, in his account of the same story, adds this little additional detail. He describes the donkey as a colt On which no one has ever yet sat. In other words, this is an unbroken animal. This animal was not used to having people sitting on its back. And yet here we are, the triumphal entry, the crowds are screaming and shouting, and the donkey is completely calm. How do we explain this? Well, Don Carson writes this. In the midst, then, of the excited crowd, an unbroken young animal remains completely calm. Why? He's under the hands of the one who calmed the sea. Isn't that awesome? Even that little detail of an unbroken animal conveys the glory of Jesus And once again, this is also a preview of what will happen when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, we're told that the lion will lie down with the lamb. When Jesus comes again, we are told that animals won't need to be trained or broken or domesticated. Animals and humans will live together in perfect peace. If you'll remember if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember that when the children entered into Narnia through the wardrobe, all the animals were talking. All the animals, which who on this world, on this side of the second coming, are are wild and in many cases untamable, became their friends. It's a tiny glimpse into what C.S. Lewis imagined life would be like in the kingdom of God because of this, because of the triumphal entry, because Jesus is our king. Jesus is sovereign over all people and places and things. He is the son of God, the mighty king of Israel, the mighty king of Pensacola, Florida. He is our king, our creator, our sustainer, are everything and we were made to serve him we were made to worship the king our shield and defender the ancient of days pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise now if that's all we saw on palm sunday that would be more than enough but there's more to jesus than this there's more to this king. The second thing that we see is Jesus is not only a mighty king, Jesus is a meek king. Back to the donkey. Why a donkey? Why not a horse? Now, no offense to donkeys, but donkeys are kind of wimpy animals compared to horses. Why wouldn't Jesus, who we just finished saying, was this mighty king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, why would he ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey why not a horse well here's the answer in the ancient world kings rode horses when they came to make war they were, rode donkeys when they came to make peace see many of the people most of the people who came to see jesus on palm sunday were expecting a horse literally and metaphorically most of them wanted to go to war against the romans Most of them wanted a violent, bloody revolution. Back then, the culture wars were a little bit more literal than they are today. Jesus, our gentle and lowly king, came to make peace. Not between Israel and the Romans, but between sinners and God. He didn't come to bring judgment. He came to bear judgment. He didn't come to kill the Romans. He came to be killed by the Romans. He didn't come to inflict God's wrath. He came to absorb God's wrath. What does Hosanna mean? Well, it's a Hebrew word that means save us now. It's a prayer prayer for grace. It's a prayer for mercy It's a prayer for salvation. Lord, save us now. And so the question is, how will this king save us? How can a prince of peace win a war? How can a gentle and lowly king defeat not only the Romans, not only the powers of this earth, but sin and death and hell and sorrow and grief and shame? How can he do it? Well, there's another clue, very subtle, but it's right here in the text. Verse 12 references the feast. What feast? The Passover feast. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem took place on the 10th day of the Jewish month of Nisan, four days before the Passover feast. Do you know what the Jews were supposed to do on the fourth day before the Passover feast. That was the day that they were to go out and select a sacrificial lamb. That was the day that they would choose a spotless lamb who would die in their place. That was the day that they were to remember that they would be saved like their ancient ancestors, not because of who they were, but because the blood of a lamb. Now listen again to what John the Baptist said all the way back in John 1. We keep returning to this theme because it's, it's uh, woven throughout the entire gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verse 29, we read this. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, our meek and lowly king, gentle, the Lamb of God, died on the cross in our place so that we might live. That's who he is. We see that over and over again in John's gospel and over and over again in the scriptures. He came to make peace. He came to save his people from their sins. He came to die as our Passover lamb, chosen by God. On this, the fourth day before the Passover feast. Incredible. Those those two seemingly irreconcilable qualities, meekness and might, come together in the person of Jesus He's the king that we always wanted. The lowly son of man. The exalted son of God. Now, before we go, let's apply this. Last point, third point. What happens inside of us when this king, the meek and mighty king, comes into our hearts? What happens when he becomes our king? Well, the short answer is we start to become like him. Now, many of us are very bold. We are type A people. We're extroverts. We're warriors. We're fighters. We take no prisoners. And when we sin, we get angry like Cain did in the book of Genesis, and we lash out. We use our words and our actions to slice and dice our opponents. We destroy people with facts and logic. Through Jesus, the mighty become meek. When this king, our king, King Jesus, comes into our hearts, we begin to use our might in order to love and serve the weak. We become better listeners we become slower to speak we become less judgmental and more forgiving we become more capable of compromise and more willing to make peace we start to turn the other cheek and go the extra mile not because we're weak but because we're meek Our strength in Jesus is no longer destructive, it's constructive. We use our strength not to tear other people down, but in order to build other people up. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, our King, changes us from the inside out. Like Jesus, the mighty become meek. And the meek become mighty. Now, some of us have the opposite problem. Some of us always avoid conflict. Some of us never stand up for ourselves. We never stand up for other people. We see bad things in the world, wicked things done to us, done to others, and we just don't say or do anything at all. We keep our mouths shut. We hide in the corner. Like Cain, the very first antichrist in a long series of antichrists, we say, Am I my brother's keeper? In the name of tolerance, we are intolerant of holiness. In the name of making peace, we clearly reject the words of the Prince of Peace. But through Jesus, there is hope. Through Jesus, we who are are meek become mighty. Mighty. Through Jesus, we find the strength to oppose sin and confront sin in our own lives and in the lives of others. Through Jesus, we find the strength to shepherd our families. We find strength to raise our children to know God and to love God. Through Jesus, we find strength to take the narrow path, the road less traveled, through Jesus, we find the strength to keep going and to going and going and never give up, no matter what the obstacles that we face in front of us. This is a verse that was stolen from us by high school football coaches around the country, and I'm stealing it back. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ my King who gives me strength. If you are meek, he'll make you mighty. If you're mighty, he'll make you meek. Jesus was both at the same time. Not 50% meek and 50% mighty. 100% meek. 100% mighty. 200%. All in this person our great and matchless king. That's Jesus. That's our, that's our king. Look, The whole world has gone after him. Have you? If you do, he'll change your life. You'll never be the same again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Our great and glorious God, our merciful King, we thank you for the wonder that we see in the person of Jesus. Lord God, We are attracted to Jesus because of who he is. And yet, Lord God, because of the sin in our hearts, we rebel time and again. I pray, Lord God, that you would make us happy warriors for Christ. (laughs) That you would make us more bold than we could ever imagine apart from him. And yet also more humble, more meek, more gentle, more lowly than we could ever imagine. Oh Lord God, would you change us from the inside out for we celebrate you, our great and matchless King. We pray in your name, King Jesus. Amen and amen.